how does someone with very little self-confidence and who is also very shy then go on to become a radio and TV presenter, hosting their own live radio show, interviewing royals, Oscar-winning actors and musical superstars, as well as presenting shows in front of thousands of people and eventually moving to another country. My name is Simon Baldock and this podcast is called Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. This is the story of how I conquered my insecurities and went on to have a 35-year career in broadcasting both in the UK and in Spain. You'll hear some of my most memorable interviews, one of which was featured on Radio 4's Pick of the Week, and all the adventures I've had both in the UK and Spain, and the stories behind them. Like the time I delivered half a carcass of beef to Margaret Thatcher at 10 Downing Street, and the time I carried a million pounds worth of diamonds on the tube in an old Sainsbury's bag, on the way to a photo shoot with Lord Snowden at the Ritz. This week's episode is called What's Cooking and features two TV celebrity cooks, the late Keith Floyd and the queen of cooking herself, Delia Smith. And also a lovely interview with a group of juniors in their school cooking club when they were making brioche, which gets very messy. Now, growing up, I was very lucky to travel quite a lot to a number of foreign countries on family holidays. Whilst there, the parents were always very keen that we tried local cuisine, so I became quite knowledgeable about different types of food and wasn't afraid to try new dishes. Everything from fondue to frog's legs, in fact. When I left school, I had very few qualifications to my name, so I decided that I would try and find out a little bit more about the food I was eating and how it was made by going to college to try and carve out a career in catering. As my father said to me, you'll never be out of work, people will always need to eat. So off I went to Weybridge College and turned up at my first lesson in my brand new chef's whites and starched chef's hat and a brand new set of Sabatier kitchen knives. I looked and felt great. Six hours later though, after my first lesson, my chef's whites were covered in a large variety of stains and my starched hat had lost all its stiffness and was laying over my sweaty face. It was a true baptism of fire, and already I was sure that I'd made a huge mistake. The City and Guilds course is designed to teach you all about the catering industry. It focuses on food and beverage service, front house, housekeeping and professional cookery. And it does, but this is the sharp end of the business the hot, sweaty end of the industry, where you're working for people who were always angry and who shouted a lot and threw things at you with alarming regularity. We actually worked in the college's kitchens a lot, as well as the training kitchen, so right from the get-go we were cooking for real people. Well, students anyway. And we could poison and possibly kill them if we made a mistake. We also had a training restaurant in the college, which was much more enjoyable. OAPs would come in if they were brave enough and for around £5 they would eat the food prepared by half the students and then the other half of us would wait on them. Good deal for the old folk and good experience for us students. What they didn't know was that being students we sometimes had a little bit of fun at their expense. For example, it was not uncommon to play football with the bread rolls before they were put in the bread baskets on the table. One of the other things that we would often do was when crepe Suzette was on the menu, which was made in front of the customers and finished off by setting fire to a small measure of Grand Monnier. 
Well, that small measure would sometimes be doubled or even tripled. So instead of a nice little flame engulfing the freshly made crepes bubbling away in a sticky orange sauce, with the expectant OAP looking on with a suitably excited expression on their face, that little flame would be replaced by a quite impressive inferno, which would shoot straight into the air and replacing the aroma of caramelising orange sauce with the smell of burnt eyebrows of the customers if they were just that little bit too close to the crepe Suzette. Anyway, although I hated catering college, I actually passed my first year at Weybridge and then went on to do the second year in Chichester. Why Chichester? Well, I woke up one morning and found out that my parents had emigrated to Paris and that I would, for the very first time in my life, have to fend for myself and live in a hall of residence. More on that another day. When I was studying catering, there weren't really that many celebrity chefs around at the time. Not like nowadays, when you can't turn on the telly without seeing one on your screens in the countless food-based programmes we have to endure these days. But one of the first that came to my attention was the late Keith Floyd. He was a British celebrity cook, restaurateur, television personality and gastronaut who hosted cooking programmes for the BBC and published many books combining cookery and travel. On television, his eccentric style of presentation, usually drinking wine as he cooked and talking to his crew, endeared him to millions of viewers worldwide. He died at the age of 65 in 2009 and I met him in around 2001 when he was promoting his latest programme, Floyd's India. Just tell us about, you know, the actual filming process and cooking in, in India. Well, first of all, you tend to start at about four o'clock in the morning uh, because you're quite a few people. Uh, we're about 14 or 15 people altogether with loads of equipment to be packed, ice boxes to be filled with all the ingredients we need because quite often we're traveling three or four hours, four hours to a location mm. where there will be no shops, no, no nothing. One day when our really dodgy gas burner, we had a bit of a split pipe and uh, the pipe caught fire and was about to explode into a huge, virtually a bomb. Mm. And it would have taken out the entire village we were in and us ourselves most likely. And uh, my manager, Stan, the producer, although he burnt himself very badly, he picked up this uh, gas bottle and threw it into a nearby sort of cesspit thing, which luckily <laughs> extinguished it. But then that meant that I didn't have the thing I needed to cook on because <laughs> it was now blown up. Yeah. So I was, perhaps that day was going to do quite a fanciful little dish because I had gas to cook on. Instead, I had to dig a hole in the ground and uh, and cooked with dried cow dung pats you know that, so that altered the whole shape of the program things like that happen it sounds fantastic oh it's great fun yeah, really i mean yeah. as long as you have try and try to try and have a sense of humor it's perfectly okay and do you have a sense of humor because you come across as as not taking fools lightly sometimes well i don't i mean um it, it's very serious business trying to get um all this information into only what is at the end of the day only 20, <coughs> sorry, 23 or 24 minutes <coughs> and there is no room or no time for bugging about. I mean, if, if the bloke who's uh, designated to go shopping who's been told quite clearly that we need this list of ingredients and they must be there by 4 o'clock in the morning the next day and then we've driven three hours to the location he's forgotten the turmeric or, or the chilies, mm. then of course, yes, um, I'm afraid he, he gets it. <laughs> but we're not to know, are we? We can't taste the stuff. You know, who, who's to know if we, you've, you pretend and put something else in? Uh, I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do it. No? No, it has to be for real. 
you're also referred to as a, a celebrity chef, as uh, a lot of, of people in your business are. Do you like that? No, phrase. I, I don't at all. I don't regard myself as a celebrity, and I'm certainly not a chef. Um, <coughs> I'm a cook. I, am, I'm a, I write my own books. I write my own scripts. I, write, I don't have any scripts. I live everything. Um, so I sort of prefer to think of myself as a, I know, cooking, a cooking broadcaster or, some, or a curiosity or someone who's been jolly lucky to get away with it for so long. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think of the, the new crop of... Um, celebrity chefs i'm going to call them that because everyone well that's what they are called i know yeah um well because i live in spain up until recently i hadn't (coughs) i hadn't seen any of their programs ever and uh then the other day we managed to get uh, digital television so i switched on to for two days i put myself through nearly two days of (laughs) back-to-back cookery programs i had no idea there were so many i had no idea that some of them are absolutely brilliant and some of them are absolutely extraordinary. The one I, I thought I liked best for the moment, I suppose only because I'm sexist, was um, Nigella Lawson. I thought, I thought her programs were beautifully shot, had really, really good food, and she herself, of course, is um, a very attractive woman. The late Keith Lloyd. Now, when it comes to celebrity chefs, one of the best known who has enjoyed a very successful career is Delia Smith. She is best known, I suppose, for teaching basic cookery skills in a no-nonsense style. She has influenced viewers to become more adventurous in their cooking, is known for using lots of cream and butter in her recipes and for her role as joint majority shareholder at Norwich City FC. Delia Smith has been a regular on our screens since the early 70s and I had the pleasure of interviewing her in around 2004 and started by asking if when she became a shareholder at the club she had anything to do with planning the players' diets. Well, yes, uh, we have just um, reinstated. I mean, Nigel Worthington, our manager, wanted to start, you know, taking the diet side of, of the training very, very seriously and thanks to sponsors, McCain, who, um, as you know, produce quite a lot of potatoes. <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> uh, because the because the um, football diet, the soccer diet, is has to be very high in carbohydrates. Sure, potatoes sure. are very good. And um, you know, if you're going to do vigorous training, um, then you really do need to have a diet very high in carbohydrates. And if you're doing both, if you're doing the vigorous training and you're eating a diet very high in carbohydrates, then your energy levels um, will improve over, you know, the match time, particularly towards the end. Mm. Have you had to change your idea about um, food and ingredients? Because I remember watching your programs, there was quite a bit of double cream and stuff involved in a lot of your recipes. No, because there wasn't a lot of double cream in my recipes. I must have been watching the wrong program. No, there is double cream in some of the recipes. Yes. I don't know what the percentage is, but if you're having a balanced diet, if I'm showing a if I'm showing you um, how to make something that includes double cream, I'm not saying eat that every day. No. I'm saying have it once a week oh, or once a month. And I think this is where the sort of myth generates is because, you know, there's a program on television that happens to be one day about dairy foods and you're doing cream. <laughs> it looks like a lot. But we're not saying eat it every day. I'm just a bit concerned, Delia, about feeding your players all these potatoes. It's not going to slow them down, is it? No. No, if they're if you're doing a high 
amount of training you know if you're really really vigorously training and that is what you have to do then you know the more carbohydrates you can eat the better 70% of your diet should be carbohydrate. Mm. Are you still a TV chef or cook or are you now a football chairman? Even if I wasn't involved in a football club, you know, my I've been doing cookery on TV for 31 years this wow. year. And I think it will be time to sort of say, well, you know, maybe <laughs> we will hang up the apron. Yes. Although I'll never say never because you d you don't know what's what might come along. But um, it would be a natural thing for me to for, to me to be winding down now anyway, yes. and the fact that I'm involved in a football club is just is just um, incidental to that really. And what's it like when? Because uh, I've been fortunate to be in the Chelsea boardroom, you know, on the day of of the match, yeah. and uh, all the the other chairman arrive and the directors and their sort of hangers on. Do you like that sort of thing? Because you must be meeting some very, very famous people. So Alex Ferguson and people like that? Well, actually, no, you don't really get to see the managers. Uh, you get to see the board directors, but you don't really get to see the, the managers, or very rarely. Um, but what do you talk about? Football, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think so. And... Um, Sometimes I don't go to boardrooms. Sometimes I just sit with the supporters because that's sometimes, you know, good fun as well. So. But you but are the face of Norwich City, aren't you? A bit like Elton John was mm -hmm. at at, um, at Watford. Yes, I mean that's because of the other side of my life. You know, mm. you know, we're very happy. My husband and I are very happy. We're very happy to be involved. I'm sure Delia Smith would be very much in favour with this group of children you're going to hear from next. They were members of a local junior school's cooking club, which I was invited along to. The day I went, the children were making brioche, which I'm sure you know is basically bread, but it has high amounts of egg and butter, which you can actually feel clogging your arteries with every bite. But it's delicious. What followed was a lovely and very funny interview with the children as they got down to the business of putting all the ingredients together. And brioche has a tendency, doesn't it, to break up a little bit. Mm. Yes, I can see it's, uh, it's going over the table a bit, isn't it? Is it supposed to do that? Yes. And just tell me about the cookery club. What's the most enjoyable thing about it? Just making things and breaking bits up. Yeah. And what have you done before? Can you remember what you've done in the club before? I've done mincemeat and um, apple crumble. And what's your favourite so far? Mincemeat. We have to mix together our milk, cream and eggs. And then we're going to tip that over our brioche. It's going to sink in and go all gooey. And then we're going to put it into the oven and cook it. And what will it come out like? Will it still be all runny and gooey when it comes out? No. What's going to happen to it when it comes out of the oven? Be hot. Right. Go start to that man it's there. It's going to set, isn't it? And it's going to go a bit hard. So we put it in a liquid and it will come out harder. I'll let them carry on cooking because I actually thought that they had finished. It's going to turn into a much more complicated recipe than I thought. Oh. It's nearly eggs time. That's going to be exciting. What do you have to do with the eggs? Do they just go in whole like that? No. No? You crack them. You crack them. You crack them. Do you crack them? Yeah. Oh. The yolk and the white comes out. I didn't know that. I thought you just put them in whole. No wonder mine's been crunchy all these years. Oh, here we go. Have you cracked an egg before? Yeah. 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 Oh, go on. Show me how to do it then. 
Well done. One handed. <laughs> oh, what happened there? <laughs> that went everywhere, didn't it? <laughs> oh, well done. That's perfect. And no shell in there either. You've got a bit of shell in yours, haven't you? <laughs> that was a very good effort. <laughs> We've got a bit of shell in ours, Mrs. Olive. And Mrs. Olive, you just missed the pot. <laughs> oh, where? Oh, what are you going to do now? Oh, you're going to use your fingers. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what's that feel like? It does a bit, doesn't it? What's it look like? One eye. Looks like an eye looking back at you, doesn't it? If it winks, then you're in trouble. And now the children are going to do a bit of whisking, so I'm going to stand right back. I'm going to stand over here while you whisk. Wasn't that great and lovely to see a school encouraging children to get so familiar with food at a very young age? And that's this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you're enjoying the series, please do tell your friends and family. Now, next week, I'm going to tell you about one of the best weeks of my life. It was 1982, and I was lucky enough to be invited on a trip to Spain to watch a World Cup semi-final, World Cup final. And if that wasn't good enough, I also saw the Rolling Stones in concert as well. And you'll hear an interview I did with former Stones bassist Bill Wyman, who was still in the band when I saw them in Madrid. And he had some rather interesting things to say about some of the other bands who were around at the same time when they first started back in the early 60s. The, the bands we didn't like are easy to remember. Freddie and the Dreamers, Dave Clark Five, <laughs> Herman's Hermits. Uh, all those kind of, they were horrible. You know, they just didn't cut it on stage. They were a load of wimps and wallies. You know, they, were, uh, they really were not... Uh, not what you'd call quality at all. That's next week in Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity.